Nikki Marie Beyer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Join the amazing Patty Armbruster and I, Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, for Grow Live on YouTube. Patty Armbruster is going to ask your questions. You can submit them ahead of time and we'll be prepared with the answers. Uh, what do you want to know? We're starting out talking about selecting seeds, but she's going to answer everything from how to process local meats to you know, what pests are good or, you know, what plants are good to bring in beneficial insects into your garden. Just, we all know Patty knows so much about everything. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. We're going to be doing this on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, 10 Central, 11 Eastern, Saturday mornings on YouTube Grow Live with Patty and Jackie. Hey everyone, I just wanted to remind you that Growers & Co. JM Fortier's new venture has amazing farmware. It's super comfortable. I got Mike and I each matching small scale growers are changing the world t-shirts because they really are. We've got to nail down our food systems. JM Fortier is like the world renowned market farmer who has taught so many people how to do, how to replicate the systems he has. He's got the Growers & Co. Farmware where he wants to highlight um, all the people who are doing the amazing work, the magazine that highlights the farmers who have gone through his program, who have put his practices into place. You know, Mandy Gerth, I'm sure we're going to read about in there someday because she's one of them. Um, it's a great magazine. It's produced like the kind of thing you want to put on your tabletop. Um, his farmware is super comfortable. I love our t-shirts, but most of all, Mike and I are already arguing about where is the broad fork going. It is heavy duty. It is just exactly, I'm telling you, I have researched broad fork. I've been wanting to get a second one. It's totally affordable. Um, don't be scared of the Canadian exchange rate. They have great customer service. They answer you right back. Um, if you email them, if you have any questions, so growers and co welcome to the green organic garden. It is Friday, January 8th, 2021. And I am so excited to bring you this amazing guest. She is in Nova Scotia. She's written several books that I know you're just going to love to hear about. Um, here to talk to us is Nikki Jabor. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Hey, Jackie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for dealing with my tech. So why don't you <laughs> tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, um, you know, I am uh, often, inter you know, like uh, I often talk to people in the grocery store or, you know, when I'm in line somewhere and they say, aren't you that crazy garden lady? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to describe me. Um, or, you know, the winter carrot lady. But that's me. I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I harvest every day of the year from my garden. You know, it's zone five, five B, um, but I don't have any heated structures. I just rely on things like cold frames or deep mulching or mini hoop, my mini hoop tunnels or a, a poly tunnel. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of my favorite thing to do is get out there and harvest from my vegetable, from my vegetable garden. I've got about 20 beds. Um, you know, they're either four by eight feet or four by 10 feet, depending where you are in the garden design. I've got uh, vertical structures like tunnels and trellises. Um, I grow in straw bales. Uh, you know, I'm always trying new things and experimenting and basically just having fun in my garden. Um, you know, I've been writing for way, I, I want to say about 25 years, but that makes me sound super old. Um, I've been hosting a radio show for 14 years. So I co-own SavvyGardening.com. You know, I, I travel usually not in 2020 or 2021 giving talks to, to gardeners, but you know, I, I love what I do and I love getting out in my garden. And we all love what you do and what you share with all of us and how much we are, we learn and are inspired by you. So I do always start my show, Nikki, asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you? With? What did you grow? Well, you know, um, my mom always had gardens like they were, you know, she would plant crocus bulbs and tulip bulbs and peonies and, and roses and things like that. And my grandmother's garden, uh, gardens as well. But 
I guess, you know, we always had a family vegetable garden when I was a kid at our cottage and it was not productive and it wasn't that pretty, but it did show me that when you grow things like beans and potatoes and tomatoes, that they taste so much better than the stuff you'd buy from the supermarket. They were really fresh and so delicious. And that kind of hooked me at a young age. And I was probably, you know, 10 or so when I took over the family vegetable garden. Um, and by the time I was a teenager, you know, I was totally into it. And, you know, I realized that all of these little bits of dried greenery in my mother's spice cupboard, I could grow a lot of that, you know, those types of herbs like basil and oregano and even chamomile for tea and mints. Um, although I did plant mint in my mother's flower garden and it's still growing there and she hasn't quite forgiven me, you know, live and learn. Um, so, so yeah, I did get into it as a kid. And, you know, I went and studied, I, I have a degree in history as well, because I didn't realize I could, I could actually study horticulture. Um, you know, and then I, when I realized I could do that, I finished that degree and then I moved on to university to study horticulture and I've just never looked back. So did you grow up in Nova Scotia? Is that where you're originally from? Yeah, I grew up in Nova Scotia. Yeah, my, my family lives here. Uh, so lovely. My parents took us on a trip to Nova Scotia when we were kids, and we all still talk about how wonderful ah, it was. That's awesome. Yeah, no, you know what? I, I love it. I've lived in other places for short periods of time, but yeah, I mean, you, you know what it's like to come home. And I mean, I'm so close to the ocean, which, you know, just to me, it's just, you know, it's just incredible to get down there, watch the waves crash. Um, I do that all the time. Uh, yeah, I love living in Nova Scotia. Everybody's so nice. And, you know, especially in 2020, it's been a great place to just kind of hunker down and, and, you know, just garden and, and spend time with the family. Aww. Well, uh, do you want to tell us about something that grew well this year? Sure. Um, yeah, gosh, this was a, you know, I mean, it's changed a lot, the climate in the past, you know, since I started gardening, I heard you know, you talking 25. about that on Margaret Roach yesterday. And I was oh, yeah. on a way to garden and you were saying that 20 okay. years ago, you would have had so much more snow and, and that's <laughs> yeah. for sure us here too. I'm in North yeah. Montana and just, you know, it feels like March instead of January right now. Right. I, I told, I mean, we've had a very mild fall this year so far, you know, and now it's winter and yeah, we got a bit of snow down, but it's still only hovering around freezing the temperature. It's not like yeah. really cold, you know, which has often happened, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I remember trying to grow peppers and watermelons and things like that. And it was, it was just a hard no, <laughs> like mother nature was like, you're not doing that. And now, you know, I grow these hot Thai peppers in my garden with oak protection that I could never have grown, you know, even maybe a handful of years ago. So, yeah, we're seeing the change in climate. So and this year was a hot, dry year um, as well. So, you know, a lot of things grew really well. You know, last year in 2019 or in 2019, I should say tomatoes, they did not grow well. It was cool year. In 2020, the tomatoes were like a jungle. It was amazing. So a lot of heat lovers did well this year. And as you know, Jackie, I grow a lot of weird stuff. So a lot of my cucumber melons did really well. A lot of the, you know, the herbs from more tropical climates did well. So, you know, it's fun to kind of grow some interesting, unique things in the garden, too. So is there something you're excited to try next year that you haven't tried before? I mean, you've probably tried a lot of things. <laughs> I have tried a lot of things. Yeah. I, but I mean, I still get, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I still get super excited when the seed catalogs come. Although I do order fewer seed catalogs and I rely more on going online because I don't want to waste paper that I don't need to have. Um, but I love, yeah. And they're scouring so the thick. We got Johnny's and Baker oh, yeah. Creek and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't get the Baker Creek one, unfortunately, but I, I do have uh, Johnny's for sure, as well as some Canadian ones. Um, but for the most part, I'm just going to go online and, but it's fun to see what's new. Um, you know, whether it's new hybrids that are maybe earlier to crop or more disease resistant. Um, I'm certainly interested in the basils that are, uh, you know, downy mildew resistant because I did finally, unfortunately, have that in 2020 on my basil plants. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to try some new heirloom varieties as well. I've been experimenting with a lot of different types of cucumber melons um, and even just like beautiful melons for short seasons like Montreal melons. So I want to keep growing some of those heat lovers. And like most people, I'm obsessed with peppers. I want more hot peppers. I want to make more hot sauce and salsas and things like that, too. So I'm excited that I'm happy I don't get tired of that spring seed rush and getting excited about all the new stuff that I still feel like a kid in a candy shop. <laughs> well, your enthusiasm is totally contagious. I got so hooked on tomatoes last year, but I'm wondering mm. if it was just the season because usually like 
I only like to grow cherry tomatoes because we have such right. a hard time getting our tomatoes to ripen. But last year we got our frost September 8th and, and the plants pretty much died. They lost all their foliage, but they grew all the way through October 15th and they were wow. still not necessarily growing, but they kept ripening and ripening right. and ripening. And we've never <laughs> had that. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is the best. And I found a great salsa recipe for the first time ever that I've always struggled to make. So um, that was really and cool for me, but do you use I like use, a greenhouse? Like, or like, do you use any, oh like, like, goodness. cause I know a lot of short season gardeners use greenhouses or polytunnels to mature things like tomatoes and short seasons. Have you tried that at all? I'm like rolling my eyes because that is one of my big challenges. Like I poured through that book, but I have yet to build a cold frame and we might, we cover things with plastic, but usually Everything just comes in in boxes, and then you end up with all these green tomatoes rotting on the floor. Like, usually it just doesn't work. But this right. year, it worked great. I mean, my husband does, like, what he does is in the spring, he plastics in our porch, and we open up the kitchen door and the kitchen window and heat the porch from the wood stove in the living room. Okay, but in the fall, we don't do that. He just, like... Either plastics over like the the little bed, or he'll make like every year. It's kind of different. He makes like a different kind of makeshift thing out of plastic. But I have always wanted cold frames, and this year I'm so frustrated because he built. He's got two hoop houses. One the plastic fell through, but the other one I'm just like, why do I not have lettuce growing in that hoop house? <laughs> right, or spinach, or arugula, or scallions, or kale, or pak choy, yes, or a bunch exactly, of other things. Right, exactly. But especially when I come home from the store, I'm like, do you know I just spent eight dollars on this bin of uh, lettuce? Eight dollars <laughs> on this plastic thing of lettuce. Like I, because technically, Nikki, I am not really the gardener. My husband's more the gardener. I'm the organic eater. <laughs> I don't know why. I just uh, I did plant a fall crop of lettuce, but I didn't cover it, and so it is buried in snow that's melting, and it didn't make it yeah, to really harvest. But the tomatoes. <laughs> Yeah. We have not, we've not had good luck with covering tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if to really cover tomatoes, a cold frame is not going to help you. You're going to need, cause most are tall, as you know, unless you grow really dwarf or compact varieties, you need, you need a polytunnel or a greenhouse, yeah. even a small, like, you know, DIY structure over top a couple would help, but yeah, you, you need to, you need to get serious about, you know, season extending. I think if you want to really stretch that tomato season. Yeah. And then the other struggle I'm like, well, I really tried to plant a fall crop of broccoli last year. And I don't right. My husband's always laughing at me. I think I put the seeds in like July 1st and maybe June 1st, but then like, that's kind of when he almost, well, he puts his broccolis out pretty early, but the, the broccoli that I planted just didn't grow. It just didn't make it. They got like six inches high and then yeah, I find actually if you're going to grow it for fall cropping and even into winter, which I like to do, I start them indoors, you know, because planting broccoli. I did broccoli, that this year. And he was like, I don't understand why yeah. you're starting them indoors. But I think it was still too late. It might have been like July. It might even have been after the 4th of July. I don't know if that's too late because I usually start mine indoors around July 1st, oh, you know, yeah. and then we put them in the garden in early August and then. They, we cover them, you know, before the frost, of course, but then we start to eat them October, November, December sort of thing. Yeah. Nope. They just, they just got six inches tall. And then that, I don't know, they just never did anything. We, I covered them. That would be the summer. The heat. September yeah. 8th. I think that was it was like, yep. maybe I put them out to, maybe I should have kept them in all of August. No, I mean, I would have, I would have started them indoors. And then once they're about six weeks old, I would have, you know, hardened them off and moved them to the garden. Um, and they probably at that point would have been strong enough and big enough as sturdy seedlings to really take off. But that for me is one of the reasons I use my grow lights in summer, because when the soil's hot and dry and the weather's hot and dry, a lot of those cool season vegetables are not going to do well. So you have to kind of shelter them indoors first and then move them to the garden. If they get that good start, you can still get that big harvest. Yeah, they were the first broccoli seeds I've ever planted from start that weren't from that were from seed and weren't from start. Right. But I just I don't. But you know, it was my first like when I started my podcast, I had a total brown thumb and could barely keep like a basil plant alive. And I have come a long way. So 
Maybe that's next awesome. year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's true is. of all gardeners. I mean, I am constantly learning when I'm listening to podcasts or talking to other gardeners or reading books. And then I'm always getting inspired and want to try new varieties or new crops or just new techniques and things. So we can always learn more for sure. And I wonder, like, that was something I was listening to you talk about with Margaret yesterday is maybe I had the wrong seed variety mm-hmm. of broccoli for the fall. Uh, well, you even mentioned your lettuce, wanting to grow lettuce in the winter. Well, you know, there's oh, summer well, that's lettuces. Oh, the other thing, too. Yeah, there's so many kinds. Because uh, yeah. I just generally tend to just only plant black seed simpson. Like, I like black seed right. simpson, and I stick with black seed simpson. <laughs> and I'm kind of, like, stuck on that. And, and so I was like, oh, maybe I should look at these winter lettuces, and I'll have yeah. better luck. And then just uh, – because there was, there was this one year where I was harvesting arugula for Thanksgiving and, yep. like, early December, and it was just the best. And it was – not only that, it was the best – like the leaves got the biggest and just went so well. And I'm. Yeah. There's fear of flea beetles and problems with things like arugula in fall as well. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I would definitely be growing winter lettuces like winter density or North pole for cold season harvesting over black seeded Simpson. That's a great one for spring and even into summer with some shading in fall. But if you want to have something to harvest even later or the Salanova lettuces from Johnny's, like, holy smokes, those are great varieties. I have probably 30 or 40 heads right now in my polytunnel and in the garden under uh, and in cold frames. And, you know, they just laugh off the cold weather. I've been putting through, putting them through their paces for a couple of years. And I've been very impressed with the cold hardiness. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah, variety, variety selection is important. That's a good point. <clears throat> do you want to tell us about something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to go this season? Well, I mean, it was a hot, dry season for sure. So I probably didn't put as much time watering as I should have. Um, but I do mulch, of course, with straw because I, I try to conserve water, of course. Uh, and I try to grow things in the most low maintenance way as possible. I think something that maybe didn't do as well as I'd hoped were my ground cherries. Um, and that's my fault probably because I also didn't add quite as much compost as I normally would. As 2020 was a boom gardening year, a lot of things were hard to source. A lot of people were home and we couldn't go places and pick things up. And I didn't have as much compost or manure as I normally would. And I just wasn't able to get more. So I definitely fed my soil a bit lighter this year. Um, you know, so uh, I, I think my grand cherries did not do as well because of that. Now, that said, this fall, I certainly spent the summer and fall making all these compost piles and turning them. So I'm going to have lots more for, you know, this coming spring season, uh, as well as going to order a huge truckload of manure well in advance uh, of the spring planting season, because 2021 is also going to be a busy gardening year. All those new food gardeners, people still growing food. It's super exciting. You know, I just did an interview with JM Fortier, and he said he's going to work on getting his ground cherries so that they can take it to market. Like he gets some for yeah. his, but he's trying to figure out how to commercially harvest them. Cause they've been, a, uh, cause he loves them so much. I was like, what are yeah. ground cherries? But I think I have <laughs> seen them in those little, they kind of have like a paper envelope type of, or whatever, like a skin. Yeah. A little papery husk. And there's a couple different kinds. There's some that are more Cape gooseberries, which are larger and more orange. And you can see, often see those in specialty stores. And then there's ground cherries, which are a little smaller and they're more golden in color and they are sweeter. They're like butterscotch, pineapple happiness. Um, and they're so good, but they are like a late maturing. So if you had tomatoes that were later tomatoes, like beef steaks and stuff, they mature about like that. So I harvest them from, you know, early to mid August until hard frost. Um, and we get lots of them and you see them at the farmer's markets here in Nova Scotia, but we're also a little, I think more mild than he is as well. So we have a couple extra weeks of the season. Mm. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> well, we're already at the getting to the root of things, which is kind of like a lightning round. So do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden that you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do? I mean, I always look at it like, uh, most of my days are honestly spent on my computer. And getting to go to the garden is a treat. Like people think I spend all day working in that garden. I do not. <laughs> there are a lot of days I'm hardly up there at all, or I'm not up there. I might just run up to grab a handful of parsley or some vegetables, but I do not spend all that much time working in my garden. So pretty much any activity makes me happy, but the least favorite, like for most people, is probably weeding. I do not love weeding. Um, so that would be my least favorite. And that's probably the only activity I farm out to my uh, children or my nieces or nephews. Uh, I will happily pay them money to come pull weeds in my pathways. 
Um, you know, I don't really have many weeds in the garden beds themselves because I've been tending them so long and I don't let weeds go to seed in there. Uh, but, you know, in the pathways, dandelions pop up, things like that, clover. Um, I, I leave little bits of clover here and there for the pollinators, but a lot of the other weeds come out. And I usually try to get my nieces or nephews to help out with that. Oh, I love that. I always <laughs> say that kids are best for planting my big struggle is planting cured seeds and like little oh, tiny, <laughs> tiny seeds. I like like big seeds, like sunflowers and yeah, radishes and you know things that you can. Uh, so but uh, that's a great way. Go ahead and just pee those kids to get out there and darn right. I, and they're all teenagers. Yeah, they want money, so they for Starbucks. So they they I'm happily gonna pay them for sure. <laughs> that's funny. I was just talking to my brother and he was saying. I was asking about my niece and he's like, well, she's like you because she's going to college. And I was like, oh, I feel so bad. She's going to college during the pandemic. It must be so hard. And he's like, ah, she's working at this law office. She's like you. She was always ambitious. She wants money, money, money. So she's just <laughs> as happy anyway. Oh, so good. on the flip side, what is your favorite activity to do in the garden? Um, you know, that's going to probably change from day to day, season to season. But generally, I, I mean, obviously, I, I love to harvest. I love to cut heads of lettuce. I love to just pick mixed salad greens. I love to pull carrots. I love to dig potatoes. It's like a treasure hunt. Um, so I love doing harvesting, of course, um, but also planting. I mean, you know, especially the main planting season in spring, how exciting is it when we get up there and we get to plant seeds or even starting seeds indoors? You know, I have grow lights in my basement. I have them in my kitchen. Um, and I'm always sowing seeds indoors for microgreens at this time of the winter. I've got some arugula microgreens started, some other mustards and mizunas. So, you know, I just, I love to grow seeds and I love to harvest. I think most gardeners would probably agree with that. Uh, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Yeah, that's a good question. I get a lot, I get a lot of gardening advice from people, um, which is great because I'm always learning. Um, I mean, I think early on, uh, the advice I should have received, but didn't was stay, start small. Don't go too big too quick. Because I did not start small. I went far too big, far too quick. And, you know, but that was, that was, you know, I, I learned, you know, by the seat of my pants. And, and I did learn and it taught me so much because I think most of us learn when we make mistakes. Um, and where 2020 was a year where so many new people gardened, I hope a lot of people, you know, they said, well, my potatoes didn't do well. Obviously I can't grow them. Well, please don't believe that. You know, sometimes things just don't do well. It could be the weather. It could be an insect or a pest. It could be something you did, but maybe not. You know, maybe it was just Mother Nature and just that gardening season. So try again. Don't give up. Because if I gave up, you know, I would not be gardening now every time I killed a plant. I mean, killing a plant is a composting opportunity. So don't take it to heart, you know, but do start small if you're new to gardening. Single raised bed, a couple containers, you know, grow for a year or two. And then you can always expand and get a second bed or, you know, 19 more like I have. <laughs> Oh, I love you. You're just so eloquent and just you. you oh, thanks. Just comes Caffeine. through. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite tool? Like, if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could yeah. you not live without? Gosh, I, I would have to say probably the tool I use the most in the garden. There's two that I that I cannot live without really, but my pitchfork, my garden fork, I use it all the time for everything from, you know, you know, I, I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of tilling or deep digging, but I, you know, I do fluff soil. I, I do use my pitchfork to turn my compost, things like that. So I love that. But as a hand tool, I love my cobra head. Have you ever had a cobra head hand tool? They are amazing. I not. But no? I was looking at them in, um, Lisa Ziegler sent out her garden oh, workshop love her. thing yesterday. Yeah. And I was looking at them in there. Yeah, I I love Lisa. Side, side tangent. I love Lisa. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, the cobra head, I've been using it for probably 15 years. And I use it for weeding. I use it for seeding. I use it for planting. I use it for pretty much everything. It's just one of those handy extensions of your hand that you can use for so many multiple garden tasks. So yeah, and it's locally, it, well, it's not locally made. I should say it's made in America um, by a family owned company. They're great folks. So that's that's been a tool that I keep with me all the time. Uh that's what I'm going to ask. Like where I keep, my mom got me a set of pruners a few years ago that I just love. And I keep them down in, I put like a little mailbox in my garden. And last yeah. year I got my husband a hori hori knife. Cause that's what oh, yeah. I recommended, <laughs> but I find he doesn't wear a belt. So then he doesn't have the sheath. So he, he's not wearing it. So I'm trying to figure out where am I going to put that hori hori knife for him? But 
a cobra head he might like that well you know in my greenhouse i just have like little hooks strung up and i hang like i hang them off that i hang off my pruners i hang off pruning saws everything gets hung off my hooks in my greenhouse but i do also have like a shoebox size um, or just a little bigger than a shoebox size, like plastic container in my garden. And it kind of gets hidden behind one of my beds. But I also keep a spare cobra head in there, as well as another pair of pruners, um, you know, a little trowel so that I don't always run to the garden shed. Because I mean, it's only like 30 feet, 40 feet away from my garden. But, you know, oftentimes you're changing tasks and stuff. And, you know, I like to keep them very close at hand in the garden. Yeah, totally. No, because we keep the pruners, we were keeping them in the house and I would get, and it was a tiny hill, but whatever, like I wasn't (laughs) going to go up to clip that one thing. And like, I was like, I have to keep these in the garden. And it's been, is it, it just to me, it just makes a big difference. And I keep a little shovel in there too. Yeah. Uh, How about what's your favorite recipe you like to eat from the garden? That's totally, I mean, seasonality is, is the key there. So it's going to totally depend on, on the day of the year. Um, but right now, my favorite my favorite thing to eat in the garden um, is sort of like a, a French-inspired carrot salad. So I'll go up and pull like six or seven carrot roots and, um, you know, clean them up and, and grate them. And then I'll get a big handful of Italian parsley from the garden, throw it in there, and then literally just dress it with a bit of olive oil, lemon juice, a little salt and pepper, and a teeny tiny half teaspoonful of sugar. And it is just fresh and delicious, and it's just such a great salad for winter. Um, but then, you know, you've also got all the greens. I have, like, three or four vinaigrettes I use all the time um, that I just quickly whip up and put over all of our beautiful salad greens. Uh, you know, in, in summer, of course, there's so many tomato dishes and one loves and everything, but I, I try not to overthink it. The vegetables taste so delicious when they're homegrown and fresh and picked at the peak of quality that they don't need a lot of, you know, fancy treatments. You know, sometimes it's fun to go up with a basket in spring and pick a handful of asparagus and some spring onions and maybe a few broccoli florets and then put together a quiche or something. But I generally let the vegetables tell me how to cook them. Um, but it totally depends on the time of year. We get so few asparagus. Mine rarely make it like to the house. <laughs> They're so <laughs> fresh and tender and just like eating that first asparagus in the spring. I bought seeds. I need like a dedicated asparagus bed somewhere yes Um, everybody does you can't put them in a regular part of the vegetable garden you need a dedicated asparagus bed because as you know they can be there 20 30 40 years so you want to it's like a minus part of the perennial garden you know because they look pretty when the ferns are up as well but then you get those six to eight weeks of beautiful asparagus in this late spring Oh, and they're just so, I mean, it's like the stuff in the store is no comparison to, uh, I mean, you can just eat them. They like, to me, they like melt in my mouth, like butter, just fresh, right? Pick them, eat them right there. But like I said, we get so few, you know, we get like six. Oh, (laughs) all spring. Like, I don't know. You just eat those in the garden. That's just, that's just straight garden food. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, what was I going to say? You might like this book. I just was, I ordered it from the library. I want to say, I've been like, Drew Barrymore started this show and she has a cookbook club. It's the only place I can think I got it, but it's called, what is it? Food with food in French. I think it is like, I I just think you might love it. Uh, I'll get you. I, is it Margaret Clark? Uh, yeah, just I email me. Why the name I ordered of the it, but um, okay. she has recipes in there that just sound like they might be right up your alley. Uh, uh, yeah, I love garden. I love from the garden type cookbooks. I have a couple from the UK and a couple uh, from the US as well. And yeah, it's it's nice to see how other gardeners take their vegetables and herbs and make garden fresh dishes for sure. And this woman just has such an interesting. Like she grew up in Brooklyn, but her parents. Like, were like the original Airbnbers, and they would like, but it was like back in the 80s, so they were like, she's like, I remember my mom like typing the letters with the carbon paper, and, and mm-hmm. we would like trade houses, you know, and there was no like references or anything, and we would wow. lock up our valuables in a closet, and we would go spend the summer in France all over, and my parents' goal was to like eat, my dad's mission was like to eat at every five-star French restaurant in the country, and we tr- we would go get lost and eat lunch. It's just a charming book. Oh my gosh! Recipes. It sounds like a dream. It sounds like incredible. Like, oh, like I the know. Her recipes wow. are are doable, but yet they used you know fresh basics, fresh herbs, and just I don't okay. know. It's a neat book. Cool. I don't usually check out cookbooks, but I don't. Know. 
I can't even remember anymore because like I order so many books from the library interlibrary loan and every week it's like the library's like me too you know and it's like <laughs> oh what is it where did they and they're they're just really yeah. diverse topics anyway what's your yeah. favorite internet resource where do you find yourself surfing on the web <sighs> my gosh um yeah I mean you mentioned Margaret away to garden I mean I worship her she is amazing and hilarious and I mean, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. She's just amazing. Um, Joe Lample's fantastic. Lisa Ziegler, you mentioned. Jessica Walliser, Tara Nolan, um, you know, Garden Therapy. I mean, there's just so many great, um, you know, innovative websites and blogs out there that, you know, I love to kind of uh, check those out and, and see what people are doing. Uh, but I mean, I own my website with two other women and, you know, professional gardeners and writers and I don't always know what they're going to write about. So it's always fun when I see them post new articles and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I wanted to learn more about growing alpine strawberries or I want to learn more about this or that. So I also learn from my, my business partners. So it's it's pretty fantastic. And what a wealth of resources there. And, and the, I think one of the things I love about your site is like, it's vetted. We know when we go there, it's going to give us information that we can, you know, there's so much information out there that you're like, oh, is this true? Where do you get this? The first thing I always say to my husband is, did you go to the website? What website is that from? <laughs> and yep. like, uh, your, your website, like I find the search bar on my website is like the most used place that I go. But I often find myself, if listeners ask me a question, on savvy gardening. Like, you guys have a great, very, um, you know, well-researched, just... Yeah, we're not trust we're that information. serious about this. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly how we like to think of it. We want people to make sure they can trust the info because, again, we're, we're professional writers, horticulturists, um, gardeners, you know, and, and we don't want to put anything out there that's not going to be helpful or useful for people, for sure. Uh, how about a favorite book? Like, do you have a book or magazine you can recommend? I'm like literally looking at my garden bookshelves. <laughs> and it's not like a two shelf thing. It's like there's four sets of six foot tall uh, <laughs> bookshelves. I have, I, I have far too, you know, I, I've been collecting garden books since I was 16. I used to work in a bookstore as a teenager and I would spend every lunch break reading the gardening books. Um, and then I would spend my paycheck buying them, which really wasn't very economically smart. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I love I love gardening books so much. And I love A Way to Garden from Margaret Roach. It's so inspiring. I love Ken Drews's books. Um, you know, there's just so many great ones out there. I have all of Jessica Wallacer's uh, Attracting Benefit, Beneficial Insects to Your Garden. Certainly made me rethink the way I plant my food garden and approach, um, you know, pollinators and beneficial insects and how I want to encourage more of them. And, you know, when I read that, I think it was probably 2013 or 2014, I, I kind of really put a lot of emphasis on that in my garden planning and it, it made all the difference. I have far fewer insect and pest problems now. Um, I see so many more populations of good bugs. So that was super helpful to me. Um, you know, I, I probably could name 50 books right now that have, you know, impacted me, but I even have all the old ones I have when I was 16 and bought those first books because I still love to go back and look at them. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of books, <laughs> far too many. So tell us about your book. Tell us about your new book and just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, growing undercover, um, you know, it's, it's all about me. I think, um, wanting to be a bit of a lazy gardener. I believe in gardening smarter not harder, uh, especially because I do live in a short climate, a short season climate where I, you know, if I just planted in the garden, it was always like late May, early June until September. Um, and that just wasn't acceptable to me. I needed to harvest longer than that. So I use all these garden covers, anything from shade cloth and row covers and deep mulching from, you know, with straw or leaves to, you know, a polytunnel, which I have now a 14 by 24 foot polytunnel, uh, cold frames, mini tunnels I build. I just use all of these different techniques and ideas and materials to grow not just food year round and harvest into winter, which I obviously do, but also to grow healthier plants like in spring, summer and fall, because healthier plants are going to crop better. You know, I protect my I use garden covers to protect my, my vegetable plants from all of the deer and the rabbits and the groundhogs that are constantly circling my garden all the time, as well as cabbage worms and slugs, um, you know, and potato beetles and, and squash bugs. So. You know, it's not just about season extension for me. It's about creating a healthier garden, growing healthier plants, which in turn 
will give me a bigger harvest. So, and it's all done organically. I mean, my province is organic anyway, but I have only always been an organic gardener. Um, and I've never felt the need to reach for any type of uh, chemical to help control insects or diseases in my garden. What does that mean your province is organic? Well, about, gosh, gosh, probably about 20 years ago now, you, you can't just go and buy like weed and feed for your lawn because you can't buy it. It's not sold anymore. You have to use organic, um, you know, uh, solutions if you have problems in your lawn and garden. And at first, I know a lot of people were like, I can't spray for my dandelions or I can't put weed and feed down for my dandelions. People were very worried that dandelions in particular were going to take over the world. But you know what the spoiler is? They did not. Um, we developed, you know, a, a tolerance for having a few dandelions in a lawn. Some people still hand pick them out with a little garden weeder. Some people don't. Um, but the bees are awfully happy, I have to say. And so, yeah, you, you can't just go out and buy, you know, certain sprays to spray in your garden. If you see a dandelion or if you see a pest, you have to learn how to deal with them organically. Wait a minute. How'd you guys get that pest? <laughs> wasn't that hard it started in quebec honestly our province of quebec in canada um you know and it spread across the country in that most regions have adopted um you know more organic bylaws and especially for home lawns and gardens and i'm seeing a huge boom right now too in people planting their lawns or not replacing them sometimes but even just planting their lawns with more native plants um creating pollinator patches uh, you know, more milkweed. Milkweed is the hottest plant in my part of the world right now. People planting milkweed for the monarch butterflies. Uh, people are very mindful, I think, wherever they are in North America and beyond now, of the pollinators, you know, of the beneficial insects. We know so much more than we did, I think, when many of us started gardening. And the average person is very well educated on this now, that we have to be more responsible for, uh, you know, because the, if we don't have a diverse ecosystem and try to support that ecosystem, we're going to see collapse and we're going to see extinctions. And I mean, we can prevent that from happening, and therefore we should be. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. But I don't feel like I hear that very often. <laughs> Canadians, go Canada. Woo! <laughs> um, I guess, uh, do you want to, like, like, what I heard you talk about on Margaret's show yesterday was, like, you talked about all the different materials you can make a cold frame from, like anything oh, yeah. from straw bales to wood. And you called the lid a, not a, a sash. A sash. I was like, a yeah. sealer. A sa I never <laughs> heard that term before. Like, if my listeners don't really know what a cold frame is, do you want to explain that? Sure. sure yeah, I know. That was fun. Margaret wanted to do like a cold frame 101. I mean, because, you know, you can talk in general about garden covers and how useful they are, but. Sometimes it's nice to deep dive and just kind of explain exactly what one of them is. And a cold frame is probably the more common type of garden structure that home gardeners build because not everybody's got space for a greenhouse or a polytunnel or a geodesic dome. But most people should be able to find space for a cold frame. A cold frame is just a bottomless box with a clear top. And the box could be made out of lumber. And, you know, I have some that are made from uh, untreated local hemlock boards with a clear polycarbonate top. Or I bought kits for them that are just completely polycarbonate. So the box and the top is made from polycarbonate. And that cold frame just captures solar energy and creates a microclimate around your vegetables. Um, and that's its whole purpose. So even though it's winter, my, my cold frames, they face towards the south because the top of the box, you know, angles down so that it captures maximum sunlight. And, you know, yeah, my, right now I've got lettuces in there and scallions and spinach and mosh. Um, and arugula, and I've got a couple frames filled with carrots uh, and beets as well. So it's a really easy way to extend your season. You know, it moves you roughly a zone and a half, say, to the south. If you're like in zone five, well, then you're gardening in like zone six B, you know. Um, so it just allows your, your your vegetables, it allows you to harvest longer into winter, but also even to get started far earlier in spring. So, you know, a cold frame, I like to think generally can extend your season by eight to 10 or 12 weeks, depending what you're growing in fall, but it also pushes that back in spring. So normally, you know, in my garden, I couldn't plant, say, lettuce outside until May 1st, but with a cold frame, I can plant lettuce outside in early March. So, and then I'm enjoying it well before May 1st, the traditional outdoor planting season. So it really allows you to, to garden and harvest out of season. And um, one of the things I heard you say that I was excited about was that you put things around, like I could take pine boughs 
and use that kind of as a mulch on top of like you were saying you you had covered yeah. the carrots completely with the mulch because they're not really growing anymore underground but it's keeping them so you can still pick them but then the other plants were still growing yeah so it depends um like for example where i have wood uh, frames and polycarbonate cold frames the polycarbonate ones are not as insulating of course as the wooden ones so often in late fall i will just mulch and hill up uh, evergreen boughs, leaves, straw, soil, mulch, whatever, around the outside of my polycarbonate cold frames for extra insulation. Um, and, and then for things like a cold frame where I only have carrots in it or beets or a root crop, for example, I mean, in the winter, those aren't growing. They're just basically standing in that cold frame until I harvest. So they don't necessarily need a lot of sun uh, to, to push new growth. Of course, the sun does warm up the interior of the cold frames, but I also will add a layer of, you know, you could use boughs of evergreens, but also straw or shredded leaves inside on top of that root crop. And it just offers extra insulation so that when I lift the cover in January or February and I kind of rifle through the mulch, I can grab and pull out some of those carrots. Uh, you know, and that works really well. If I had lettuce in there, however, or spinach or arugula or scallions or something else that, um, you know, needed the sunlight, I would not mulch that cooled frame. But for root crops, I would certainly add a mulch indoors in a cold climate. Well, you have shared so many amazing golden seeds with us. I know listeners are going to love this. Is there anything you want to talk about before we do my final question? And then you can tell listeners how to connect with you and stuff. Gosh, I don't think so. I think if somebody is, you know, maybe listening and they're like, well, this might be, this might be the year I do my garden. I've been thinking about it. I haven't done it yet. Maybe they've grown a few things in containers. I would say go for it. Like start, like we, we talked about some garden advice and starting small, but make this your year. You, you finally do do your, you know, you know, plant a garden because I don't think you're going to regret it. It's so much fun. Um, I would say uh, grow just a couple things the first year. Don't go buy like 50 seed packs, which I have done. Don't do that. Start with just like three I or four. Of, that. Right? Oh, I do that now. But and then I stay <laughs> when at I started. the store when the plants are all on sale and bring home another ton of like, you know, starts. Oh, Jackie, I, I'm totally guilty here. Okay. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, try to just stick to three or four things your first year. Whatever you guys like to eat, whatever your family likes to eat, try to grow a couple of those things and then throw maybe one fun thing in just for good measure. But don't overdo it your first year. And once you learn, I think, you know, what the seasons are like and what those specific crops need, you know, you can translate that into other types of vegetables and, and go bigger and, and grow more things. So start small, have some fun, you know, get some experience and then go bigger. So that's that would be but I, I guess the final point that I would say on that. It's true. I just can't believe how much I have learned from my podcast. And like now when I'm out in the garden, like I'm like, oh, why did I ever think that was going to grow there? Or this would be the perfect place for this. And like, I, I just like, it's amazing how much I, I've learned and like internalized. Like now it's like, it's be starting to become second nature. Whereas, but, but I still like, I'm just beginning my journey in a huge way. Well, like, like I remember planting, you know, seeds when I was a teenager, the first time I grew like herb seeds and planting them in the garden, I had the book in one hand, you know, the seeds in the other. And I would constantly go back and forth. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? But like you say, it becomes second nature after a while. Um, you know, so it's like anything, I guess, when you start to learn something new, uh, it just takes a little bit of time, but don't be afraid to put that time in. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's what I should do is bring a book down there with me. <laughs> so, because I have, I've de definitely failed. My biggest thing is like maintenance and like, I, I'm created like getting all excited in the spring and being like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then July and August come and I'm like, oh my goodness. Too hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I bit off way more than I could chew. And what was I thinking? And I don't know. Welcome to gardening. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, oh. here's my final question. It's kind of a doozy. Nikki, okay. if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, obviously, on a, on a large scale, I think we really need to get serious about climate change because very few countries are. Uh, and, you know, all these band-aids are not actually doing anything. Um, 
So we need some politicians that actually are going to take a stand uh, and implement, you know, regulations and change that are really going to help maybe not reverse, but either slow climate change or stabilize it. So, I mean, obviously, we need to listen to scientists. <laughs> they know what they're talking about and we have to take cues from them. So, I mean, I would love to see politicians putting an emphasis on climate change, you know, creating, um, you know, a, a whole government portfolios around climate change and taking that very seriously. And I think most of us would like that. Um, on a smaller scale, you know, I think as gardeners, we can definitely make a difference, whether it's growing some of our own food so that our food doesn't have to travel thousands of miles to get to us, like those lettuces from California that come all the way to Nova Scotia grocery stores, um, you know, or planting something for the native bee populations that are in decline. You know, there's so much we can do in our home gardens, you know, increasing biodiversity, um, you know, not reaching for that spray bottle when you see an insect, maybe learning what kind of insect it is, because really most of the insects in our gardens are either beneficial or neutral. They're not doing any harm. So don't automatically think you need to get rid of them. And so changing our mindset that way. Um, so there's a lot of small steps we can do individually, but I think we also need to, you know, demand that our governments definitely take more action in terms of uh, larger scale climate change. Well, I'm just so inspired that you guys have like made your whole province organic. Like that is just, I I can't even tell you how inspiring that is because it's like, well, Canada did it, so then we could, <laughs> could do that. Because that just seems so overwhelming to me. And it's like one I of know. my big pet peeves when I go to my mom's in New York. Or even two summers ago, I was working in this restaurant right near us in this town. And, and I would walk out of work, and there in the bank parking lot are those little yellow flags that say, mm -hmm. you know, don't walk here for 24 hours because we sprayed just so there's no dandelion on this little speck of land between the sidewalk and, I mean, and the street. Landscapers here can certainly get a, you know, pesticide licenses, of course, and, and, and they can get permits oh. to spray here and there as necessary. But uh, that's on a decline, too, which is good. And I'm hoping that will continue to be on the decline as well, because, you know, a dandelion doesn't offend me. I know it offends some people, but it's just a dandelion. You can eat it. You can eat all parts of it. And then, of course, the bees enjoy it, too. So. You gotta rethink it. Oh, and the to me, what, from what I've seen and what I've talked to is the easiest way if you really want to get rid of dandelions is water your lawn. Like maybe it's because <laughs> yeah. I went to like I had this friend and she bought this house in the middle of winter and didn't realize and like spring came and her yard was so full of dandelions it was just overwhelming mm -hmm. and she was like. I just want to get rid of them. I know I don't want to spray, but I just want to get rid of them this year and then I'll never spray again. And I was just like, would you look at your lawn? Your lawn, you have huge patches of dirt you can see between mm -hmm. the grass. If you just like, mm -hmm. it was just so obvious to me what she needed to do. Yeah. And even top dressing, I find if you, I mean, if you have a lawn and you want to maintain it, if you uh, aerate every year or so and add just like a scant, you know, third of an inch or quarter inch of compost to feed the soil in your lawn, you don't need to be putting on quick release fertilizers to keep the lawn healthy because that doesn't do anything for building the soil. Putting a little compost on helps build the soil, helps that turf grass grow thick and lush and healthy. It helps hold water in the soil so you don't even have to water as much. And then you have fewer dandelions too. So it's starting off right and then maintaining that lawn. And it's not easy. If you want a beautiful lawn, that's a lot of work. It really is. And, and her, that's she's on this lot that is huge. I mean, it is like, uh, it is a yeah. giant lawn. It's a lot of money and a lot of time to maintain a perfect lawn, which is why I think so many of us are rethinking that. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. And I'm like, you need to plant like perennial borders. And I'm like, over here, you yeah. should put like irises that come back that you don't have to like on this corner. Like I have this whole design for her lawn that I'm just like, if I could do your lawn, it's so funny. Um <laughs> what she should do and and just uh and she has come it's come a really long ways i have to say okay. that's good yeah i think everybody needs a friend like you <laughs> that'd be awesome well it's funny <laughs> i've been listening to nicole burke has this show called gardenary and she teaches people how to start a garden design business and like one of the things <laughs> she talks about is just like start walking around your neighborhood's lawns and looking and thinking, what would I plant there? And I'm already just naturally doing that. Like when I go pick the oh, grandkids up at the <laughs> high school, like I just find myself sitting, you know, outside waiting and I'm like looking, I'm like, mm, well, they could do this here and they could do that there. But of course that's all because of stuff that I've learned on my podcast. Um, so who knows? 
Anyway, Nikki, tell yeah, everybody <laughs> about your books again and how they can connect with you and your website and just uh, all those things. Yeah. Well, yeah, my website's SavvyGardening.com. And my books, uh, The Year on Vegetable Gardener, Groundbreaking Food Garden, Veggie Garden Remix, which is all about these wonderful, weird global vegetables I grow. And then my latest, which just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, Growing Undercover. Uh, and basically, it is just techniques for a more productive, weather-resistant, pest-free vegetable garden. And it was so much fun to write and then go through the whole photog photography process. And, and finally, just to see it now, the past couple of weeks in print has been amazing. So I'm so excited. Um, yeah, so and then, of course, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And my handle, of course, on those is just Nikki Jabor. That's me. <laughs> okay. And just Nikki is N-I-K-I. There's just one. Yep. And then... J A B B O U R. Okay, cool. Uh, and Savvy is S A V V Y? Yeah, savvygardening.com. And then, of course, Savvy Gardening on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest as well. Thank you so much okay. for sharing with us today and all that you do. And listeners, when you get her books, if you have one at home and you haven't gone to Amazon and left it a review, Make sure you leave it a five-star review so other people can read it and find it and learn um, too. So... Thank you so much. Thank you, Jackie. This has been a blast. So nice connecting with you and learning more about your garden as well. So thanks for the time today. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to remind you that Growers & Co. J.M. Fortier's new venture has amazing farmware. It's super comfortable. I got Mike and I each matching small scale growers are changing the world t-shirts because they really are. We've got to nail down our food systems. JM Fortier is like the world renowned market farmer who has taught so many people how to do, how to replicate the systems he has. He's got the growers and co farmware where he wants to highlight um, all the people who are doing the amazing work, the magazine that highlights the farmers who have gone through his program, who have put his practices into place. You know, Mandy Gertha, I'm sure we're going to read about in there someday because she's one of them. Um, it's a great magazine. It's produced like the kind of thing you want to put on your tabletop. Um, his farmware is super comfortable. I love our t-shirts, but most of all, Mike and I are already arguing about where is the broad fork going. It is heavy duty. It is just exactly, I'm telling you, I have a research broad fork. I've been wanting to get a second one. It's totally affordable. Um, don't be scared of the Canadian exchange rate. They have great customer service. They answer you right back um, if you email them, if you have any questions. So, Growers and Co. Hey, listeners. Are you wondering how you can grow your own healthy and nutritious food with confidence? Have you been frustrated as a gardener? Does the thought of weeding make your back ache? Have you tried to grow a garden before and found you can't even keep a plant alive? Does the cost of organic produce in the store make you cringe, but the thought of bugs in your garden make your skin crawl? Well, we have the answer for you. FreeGardenCourse.com. It is so easy. You enter your email you will watch a video right there. You can get my Organic Oasis checklist, our Essential Tools checklist. It all shows up right on the thank you page, freegardencourse.com. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local. Grow local.